Welcome to Grind, Grind, Sell, Sell, Elevate, Elevate, with your host, Tizer Evans, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the top minds in all areas of business, entrepreneurship, sales, and leadership. Let's elevate together. Everybody, thanks for joining me on Grind, Sell, and Elevate. This is Ty, and I'm here with Casey Jaycox today, who is a sales leadership coach, also is a podcaster like myself and an author. Guy stays real busy. Casey, thanks for joining us. I uh, appreciate it. Thanks for the uh, the warm introduction and I'm happy to be here. Yeah, no, absolutely. Not often I get to talk to somebody that's able to do so much at once. Well, it, it, it's all a, it's all like an illusion. I, it's slow. It's one thing at a time, but uh, it definitely is a lot. I'm learning in the entrepreneurial space that I'm not only the CEO, but also the, the custodian too. That's, that's, I, I live with an entrepreneur, so I get to, I get to watch her. I go through that daily kind of uh, being Jack of all traits. Um, talk to us a little bit about your background. You know, what, what were you doing before you kind of jumped out on your own and why did you decide to make that decision? Kind of what are you doing today? Well, one of my small goals whenever I join a podcast is I always mention, mention Uncle Rico because it allows me to go down my former collegiate football days so I can, I can keep that streak alive. But no, joking aside, I, for, yeah, for, so former college athlete, I got into sales right out of school, um, got in, left that job, got into a, you know, the technical staffing and more consulting professional services space and did that for nearly 20 years, had more success than I ever thought I'd have. And that it was our number one rep nationally, 10 years straight, um, left as our firm's all-time leading salesperson. But in the end, who cares, right? We're all replaceable. And coaching found me. I had a chance to then spend some time to write a book that I always wanted to write, which is called Win the Relationship, Not the Deal. Um, started this podcast called the quarterback dad cast, which allows me to joke before, but it's, I, I mean, truly mean it, you know, almost have therapy every week, talking to dads, keeping me grounded about what's really important in life. Yeah. And, um, what I, what I tongue in cheek said about, you know, who cares about the, the sales piece. I, a lot of the coaching I do in my world now is, is really around vulnerability, curiosity, humility, because in the end, you're only as good as I always call it this 1440 mindset, like be as good as you can today. Or, and if it's a bad day, the, the best part about 12 o'clock midnight, that clock resets and we got a chance to fix it the next day. And I don't know if it's like maybe my days of playing quarterback where, you know, you, you, you might have a good play on third down, but then the play clock resets and you got 35 seconds for the next play. So anyway, that's, I mean, a brief, I know we're short on time today, so I want to be respectful of the, the podcast waves time, but that's probably the best, quickest summary I can give you in terms of where I'm at, where I came from, what I'm doing now. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's always interesting. Um, I don't know if you've seen this correlation throughout your career, but you know, I always feel like athletes make the best salespeople. They just have this innate drive to that competitive edge. Not always the case, but I find more often than not, you know, when I've, I've hired you probably like you hundreds of salespeople over the course of my career. And I've always found the athletes are typically uh, the ones that are powerful. Have you found that to be the experience as well? Yeah, I definitely find one of the things that sticks out to me is like the, the grit and resilience piece, mm-hmm. you know, handling adversity, which in selling and business and entrepreneurship, it's, there's going to be a lot of bad things that happen, but how do you stay positive? How do you find like just a, a small crack to find something that kind of keep you motivated throughout the day? Additionally, I'd say that it's being coachable. Yeah. Um, I, I always say like when I enter my office here, even when I was at my former employer, like we had a hat rack, we couldn't wear hats at our office, but that hat was for your ego and <laughs> hang your ego at the door. And, you know, I, I joke with my kids, like there were Dame, there were games in college. I was like 27 to 35 X, you know, whatever we won, but those eight incompletions, I'd get coached 
eight, nine times hard. Why'd you throw the interception? Why'd you do this? Where was your read? Where was your feet? Why did you do that? Just get, not like to ridicule and beat me down, but make me think about constant continuous growth. Yeah. And I think that I'm so grateful for that experience because it, it definitely did help me in business. And those that back to your question, you know, people that have that coachability mindset are the ones that traditionally are going to have more success in, in business and life because they, they, they're not afraid to get coached. They want to get better and they don't let the ego get in the way. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'll share this quick story with you. Um, so my, my six-year-old, he just finished his first flag football season. Nice. And uh, he didn't want to go to the last game. And it's because he hadn't, he hadn't got a medal yet. Right. And it was, but it was a championship game. So Saturday, he didn't want to go. He's like, I don't want to go dad. He was so nervous about not winning the medal that that was his focus. Right. And, <laughs> and so I, so I, I tell him, you know, Hey buddy, we got to, we got to finish what we start, you know? Yeah. Yep. It's, it's just the way you got to overcome it and you got to walk through it. You got to go out there. You're part of the team. Your teammates are expecting you to go out there and play and you've been a pivotal part or he's a, he's fast. And um, so anyway, so he, he ends up going, the team wins a championship game and he got player of the game and he got his medal. And so it was one of those, like, you know, those concrete things at six years old, you know, um, and, and the weekend before he was at a Spartan race. And so I start to think that, you know, the earlier we can start to, I think, help kids, you know, foster that positivity and overcome adversity, even, even their own little minds, it starts to help so much as, you know, they turn in, we turn into adults. Man, that's a, I, I love that. He'll remember, he'll remember that for years. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, he, I mean, I think he will. Yeah. That's one of the great questions I always like to ask you know, for sales leaders out there is, or I mean, I don't know if this resonates with you, but like one question I always love asking, even before I'm coaching someone, I'd say, tell me the biggest moment of adversity in your life and how did you use it to be successful in your life? And I don't care if it was, they crashed their bike on their paper out. They got an F in theater. I don't care what it is, but I want, I want to see someone that went through something bad because it's that's what life is. Life sucks a lot of time, but how do you stay either neutral or positive to get through it? Um, no, I you know, I I totally agree. I want to, I want to go off of your, your 10 years of being number one, because to do that, I mean, people cannot appreciate what type of mindset that takes. So how did you stay that consistent, you know, and not lose your drive to be number one? Um, you know, how did you, how did you really, you must have had that dialed in. I, I, I mean, I've had that question asked me before and I still come back to a, a moment when I was 17 years that I, I believe drilled a deep, deep level of humility into me and drive. So I was our starting quarterback, my junior in high school. I beat out a kid who was a way better athlete than me, ended up playing for the Yankees in the minor league system. I was like, I joked, I look like Beetlejuice, like six, you know, six, one, 140, super skinny, <laughs> dorky kid. And, and, uh, but was cerebral and I, I was a baby, a better leader. And so I ended up winning the job. Well, had an okay junior year, senior year comes along. Uh, I went to a couple of camps. I started getting on some local recruiting radars like UW mm -hmm. and University of Washington and then some small schools. Well, we had this thing called a jamboree. I don't know if you have those in, in Texas where you like, it's like a practice game against other teams. And we literally just torched everybody. We were feeling good. Well, the last play of the jamboree, I get back in and for whatever reason, we call pass play, snap slow, uh, center. I mean, the defensive tackle shoots the gap. His knee gets on top of my foot. I can't move and comes around, blast me. I ended up breaking my foot in four spots, um, would have surgery two and a half hours later. I'm a captain. World goes on. Who cares? We got we to keep playing. So the guy I beat out, who's going to play a tight end, now had to play quarterback. He would go on to set our single season passing yardage record. He would go on to win, uh, take us to the state playoffs first time in 20 years. And he would be the first quarterback uh, to also be named second team all league. And I had to just watch. Wow. So that experience 
taught me that it's not about me. It's about the team. It's not about, and we're all replaceable because it happened just like that without me knowing what I wasn't ready for it. And I remember about four games into the season, I had this piss poor attitude. And I went to my coach and said, coach, I'm not being a captain. I'm not acting like I should. I'm embarrassed by my behavior. I need help. Like I was like as vulnerable as I can be. And he was like, I am so freaking proud of you. And I didn't, wasn't doing it for that. And he, he said, Casey, you know, it's offense better than me. Why don't you help me go up in the booth and call plays? And I'm like, really? And literally when he said that, I felt like this energy just gets sucked out of me. And I said, let's F and go, let's yeah. go. And I was literally, then I became an offensive coordinator, helped call plays, you know, long story short, then, um, got, t- um, the, the university of Washington coach. And then my high school coach called central Washington university and said, listen, this guy's got no film. Give him a chance. He, he will play for you. And I didn't, they, they knew more than me. And I ended up, you know, luckily went on to be a three, almost three-year starter, all American my senior year. And Awesome. But that moment, I mean, I still, and then all that adversity, it was right into to business. Like once I achieved success, it brought me back to that moment. Like, Hey, get, it's okay. You're maybe you're successful today. Get back in the huddle. Yeah. And I was a part of, um, at the previous company, I was with K force, one of the largest deals in company history, also the largest flunks in company history. The best compliment I ever received from my client was Casey, the day you won it, the day you lost it, you're the same dude. Thank you. Um, and so for me, I hope that gives you some context of, of why, because I never wanted to be the dude at the top. They're like, Jay Cox, what a, what a a hole, you know, he got, he treats his admin like crap. He treats his team like crap. I wanted to be the dude that they're like, that's him that, but he's nice and he's respectful and he treats people well. Yeah. That you can be successful and not be a a hole to everybody. Um, so anyway, I don't know. I love telling that story. I mean, I literally get goosebumps because it takes me back to that day when it all went down. Um, yeah, what a beautiful, I'm honestly, that's a beautiful lesson. And I love that you carried that throughout your career because a lot of people, you're 17, you know, you get that, that could, a lot of people leave that uh, behind in the past. Right. Uh, but you carried that lesson throughout your life. So that's really beautiful. Uh, thank you for sharing that. You know, one of the, the things I wa- also wanted to ask you about is you have six common strategies uh, to become more successful. Now, I was hoping you could kind of walk us through those. And, and I figured those played into a little bit of your sales success. And obviously, I think you obviously elevate all the way to become president of the company as well, right? So you didn't just stay in sales. Yeah, it wasn't like the, we were publicly traded company. So I wasn't up like the president, but I was like president over this a client strategy group. So mm-hmm. like my job was um, kind of at the end of it, I was the executive sponsor for suite accounts. I was um, helping change kind of, moving from a different level of services inside account, doing some coaching leadership work. But um, yeah, it's back to the, the six, the six things. I, when I, when I sat down to write my book, I, I had the idea for nine years and I didn't, but I didn't want to write it when I was still at K force, my previous employer. Cause I, I would just, I didn't want to be distracted. I didn't want it to be an excuse. And so once it, it, the, we uh, agreed to part ways, which is a you know, great divorce. I still am great con great in touch with all those folks. Um, I'm like, now's the time. And so I did this like word mapping exercise and I just thought, okay, what were all the things that I did or emotions or actions that helped lead to success over consistently? And it it boiled down to like some words. And then I just kind of started putting them together. And then, so chapter one's all about power of the golden rule. seems basic. We're five, six years old. You probably teach your son, Hey, be nice to everybody at school. But when we get to be adults, you can, you can be rude to finance. You can be rude to the front desk. You can flip someone off on the way to work. You know, I always ask people like that moment when you go to Starbucks and someone buys your coffee. And then I, then I say, you know, what do you usually do next? Will you pay it forward? Right. 
So I ask people, so what, why do we need that moment to start our day? Why can't we start the day and just assume that someone just bought my coffee, go, go pay it forward to someone else yeah. and watch what happens to your culture, your relationships. Chapter two is about expectation management. You know, little, like little things like if you're going to be late, let someone know. If you tell someone you're going to call in the state, do it. Seems basic. Most sellers don't do it. That's uncommon. Chapter three is about the difference between listening and hearing. Mm-hmm. We, we believe we're so important. We're so busy. We can multitask. We can't. Our brain's not wired to multitask. If, if I'm talking to you and I'm looking at my phone, that's not respectful. I want, I tell my clients, like, be the Maya Angelou, create that Maya Angelou moment where it's not what you said, why you said it, but how you make people feel when you leave the room. Chapter four is all about documentation. I was a CRM psycho. Yeah. Um, CRM made me look like I went to Harvard. I didn't. Um, there's not, I mean, I couldn't be the custodian of that joint. Um, chapter five is all about practice. Um, too many sellers want to just wing it. Yep. And I always say, what would your client, what would your customers feel if we said you practice on them daily? You know, chapter five is also about ego and humility. And then chapter six is all about uh, patience. Relationships take time and perseverance and you can't force them. Usually we, once we start asking the right questions, use curiosity, then relationships will go to another level. So those are really the six things that I, and as the author, I've read the book seven or eight times. I had, I, I just put out an audible version this year. So I, I, I wrote, I spoke it and I still learned something from myself, which is embarrassing to say. Right. And so I, I think I wrote the book probably for myself as reminders, like these are the things to focus on. Um, they're not sexy. They're not a lot of the stuff I wrote about. I didn't create. I'm just, I'm just giving it my own spin on it. But yeah. these things have been around for two, 300 years. I think that they're all great, really core pillars. And they're ones I can relate to in sales um, a lot. I mean, I mean, I don't know if I've had the same level of success you have, but I've been around the country, you know, selling for the last uh, 15, 16 years. And I think, you know, setting expectations is really interesting, especially when things start to go sideways or, you know, I'm in insurance underwriting's behind and you don't want to tell a client, Hey, it's going to be two more days. And then, you know, by not telling them it's two more days, you piss them off as opposed to just having complete transparency and honesty. That's a, Mm -hmm. it's a huge takeaway. The listening and hearing another thing. Is there anything that you think that you do to like key in, let them know that you're effectively listening is, and you stop and kind of re-paraphrase or let, you know, cue in, let them, uh, the, the client cue in that they know that you're listening. A couple of things come to mind. I think uh, silence is your friend. So if I, if I ask a question or you ask me a question, I'm, I'm a, I like, if I'm on zoom, I'll tap my finger behind the scenes. You can't see. And I usually like to give two or three taps in between speaking so that I let someone think. Yeah. Right. Um, the other thing I do to show that I listen is I, I love the power of like a meeting recap that I said, thank you for your time. This is exactly what we, and I tell them it's coming too, to get, to get ahead of it. Like, Hey, I wanted to just take a minute, recap what we talked about. So I'm sort of in alignment of what next Mm -hmm. steps are. And I'll say, you know, here's what I heard. Here's some of the challenge you're facing here. Next steps. If there's anything I've missed, please let me know. And just that is uncommon. I'm finding. Right. And I learned that from one of the mentors I used, I had at the end of my career. And um, these are like basic little things that sellers can do to, to really start separating themselves um, and I think also back to listening is just be curious. Don't just ask one question. I use a framework I got taught called Ted. Tell me, explain, describe. I, I love it. I use it on my kids. And so if someone, I ask a question to uncover pain or problem and someone says, yeah, this is, this is, this is not working. Most sellers will go into, well, great. I have a perfect product for you. Let me open up my trench coat and show yeah, you Yeah. versus tell me more about that. Right. To describe why that is negative, negatively impacting you. Know? Tell me how, what would happen if we made that go away? Like make them think from 
you know, worst case scenario to, to best case scenario. And um, so anyway, those are some of the things I, I think about. No, I, that's so powerful. I, I was lucky. I had a really good mentor who was uh, obsessed with good to great. It was like his, his playbook. And you know, he hired me in my first insurance job at 25. And he walked me through, you know, kind of like a script on how to sell. And it was always tell me more. And what else? Tell me more. What else? Tell me. And he just, he would just drill those questions in. And so as you go through the discovery phase, it wasn't like that. You'd get like a snippet and then just, you know, info dump. It was like, no, well, tell me more. Well, yeah, deals are won or lost in discovery. Always. Yeah. Always. And as sellers, I just, one thing I talk about, we either can say deal gets stuck. We can say uh, client, they lost budget. They didn't know what they're talking about. Or we say, I didn't ask the right questions. And we can be show humility and vulnerability to go back to a client and say, Hey, I'm I, you know, bummed. We didn't get picked. Tell me one thing I could have done differently. One question yes. I could have asked differently, like always seek feedback. And I, I find when I do that, sell the clients, they're like, this guy's like legit. He, and I do, I want to learn. And that, that goes back to these days of college football where who cares? We won the game. Who cares? But there's, if there's always something to be focusing on getting better then I'm improving. Uh, no, I love it. And I think that that goes to you, you, number five practice. Because I find it interesting, and I've talked about this a few other times, so I don't maybe get your take on it. You know, it's like people graduate high school or college, and then it's like, hey, man, I learned all I need to know. And they go out into the world, and they try to, they try to work from there, and then they wonder why 20 years later they haven't advanced, they haven't developed, you know what I mean, that they feel kind of unfulfilled, they're making the same amount of money, their life didn't turn out the way they want. And I really attribute that because you stop learning, you stop growing. And, you know, you should treat your craft like you do. You're playing a sport is how I see it. I mean, I get your take on that. Yeah. I well, you made me think of my favorite Tommy Lasorda quotes, uh, rest in peace, Tommy, when he said, there's three types of people in life, people who wonder how things happen, wonder how things happen, um, watch things, watch things happen or people who make things happen. Yeah. And you, you have to keep getting better. Like I didn't, I'm sure you can really, this, you didn't just wake up and like, Hey, I want to do a podcast and it's just going to happen. I'm just going to yeah. click the buttons and just, I mean, I am the blind leading the blind here. I am marketing. I am production. I didn't know anything about GarageBand. I didn't know how to edit. edit. You know, I had to learn and grow and shout out to my, my former teammate, Ty Nunes, who helped me do this stuff. Um, the power of just saying, I don't help me out. Tell me more about it is, is so fun to like grow because you're improving a skill set. Complacency is a silent killer for salespeople mm -hmm. and people who get in work because they realize things are just going to always stay the same. And I always believe that change is going to happen. Either you deal with it or you get dealt by it. And so I might as well keep learning and growing and whether it's reading books or, um, and that's the one thing I, I did other sarcastic joke. I, one of my biggest reasons for writing a book was to prove that us football guys can put sentences together. And my book is not a scratch and sniff. I promise you that. <laughs> hey, my, my best friend, uh, he was O-line at Arkansas state. Sweet. And, I yeah, love the O-line brotherhood. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's a, he's a financial uh, advisor. He's actually mine. So I, I, have, I have faith. I had faith in you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I let him handle my money. Um, no, I, I really, I really love the, these six steps. And I think that the last one I want that you to hit on the CRM is self-explanatory. You're crazy. It's your biggest weapon if you don't use your CRM, but it's yep. the patience, you know, letting things foster and come, you know, not mm -hmm. getting discouraged. How do you, how do you like coach somebody to say, Hey, you know what? Like it, you, you can't get discouraged from the rejection, you know, and maybe someone's not an athlete. How do you start to have them switch on that mindset? Yeah, I think you have like, um, again, I'll quote my, our boy, Steve 
Stephen Covey began with the end in mind. So you have to kind of start to visualize things. Things always happen twice. Once when you think it, and then once when you do it. And that's the work with someone we do at Limitless Minds is you know, the power of staying neutral in thought, but visualization. Like someone's going to do it. Why not me? Um, so patience is all about like, if I try to convince you to do something, which is the art of persuasion states, if I try to convince someone to do something, they're going to resist me. If I ask great questions of value or to help uncover pain or problem, they're going to convince themselves they have something to do, which right. is all about value-based selling. So, you know, patience for me is like, if I, if I'm trying to force something to do it, I have to tell myself, I have to think about like, um, I, there's this, I wish I had this diagram. I could show you, but it's like, imagine like left is like negative, negative version of me. And the right is the positive version of me in the middle. We talk about the circle being me noticing a difference. And so if I, if I feel myself getting frustrated and trying to convince someone or push someone, I need to ask myself, okay, I need to rewind the tape and figure out I've not asked the right questions here, mm-hmm. or I've not done an uncommon uh, activity or follow-up or message or whatever it may be to like, make them see me in a different light. If I'm doing things that are common then I'm, I'm going to be like everybody else. And most sellers, they, they expect one phone call. Hey, yeah, I have $6 million. Can I spend it with you? Which doesn't happen, yeah. right? Yeah. I tell a story in my book where there's one of my best customers, shout out her Nadine, if you're listening. Took me five years to work with her. I worked with her team. But that moment when you finally get the chance to go meet someone, just like Eminem talks about one, you know, one shot, you got to be ready and prepared which is being prepared is about the questions you're going to ask, understand their business, understand what's going on in their world. Don't just go and wing it. And so I think if you can be patient with all those things in mind, knowing that this is a journey, you're going to be, you know, I hate that, you know, the marathon, not the sprint, but it's so true. It's, yeah, it, is. it takes time. Like you didn't, you're what, 15, 16 years in what you're doing. You didn't just show up and we're, maybe you did. I don't know. I, but take the, that, that grind of going through it. If you, if you have the mindset that it's going to take time, but it's going to be so worth it once you get through there. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the things that uh, I, a story like yours was in five years, but um, you know, at uh, the last company I was at, similar industry, I just kind of uh, went more upstream uh, recently. But uh, this guy, I knew he had, he was a right target client, connected, had brief conversations, kind of blew me off. I didn't hear the guy from the guy for another fourteen months, but I called him seventeen times and I sent him, you know, thirteen emails. Right. Finally, finally, I kept digging. I started talking to other people on his team. I got his business partner on the phone. Business partner then set up a meeting for us. Went to the meeting, well-prepared, like you just said. I ended up writing a million and a half dollars worth of business over the next six months with him. But most sellers would have given up after that third or fourth phone call. And I tell people, I called the guy, they're like, you were stalking him. I'm like, no, I had something of value to bring to him. Right. And so I just was not going to let up. Um, on that. And so just, just to keep pushing forward. I just think it's, it's well, such great advice. Well, one of the things I was going to say is uh, you made me think when you said that story of 17, I don't know if I called this guy 17, but early in my career, I used to, I like using my personality to be authentic and genuine and divine and commonality and rapport. That's, that's the most fun thing about selling. You just, how do you get someone to say like, God, did that guy just really say that? And it's like, you just kind of like chill, get people to know that, Hey, we're all normal. Well, I remember early in my career, some of your sellers might not even know what it's thing because it's called a fax machine. And it's like this weird electronic thing that would make weird noises, like a, a dog in heat uh, going through it. And so I was like, man, I'm going old school. This guy won't call me back. He won't email me. So I'm faxing him. I wrote a handwritten note and I said, Hey, I, I, I believe you're the right contact. Um, here's what we do. I believe you hi- use our services. 
I can't get you via phone. I can't get you via email. So I'm going to use something that worked for me when I got my girlfriend in fifth grade. Um, if you could just please review with a note, check a box and fax it back to me. I'd really appreciate it. I was like, what am I going to lose? So I'm like, right. I might as well have some fun. The dude to this day, I still tell a story. He checked the, and, and the options were like, who are you? Question mark. Stop calling me one more email. I'm going to call the police. Uh, I think you sound somewhat interesting or, you know, I like what you're saying. Let's set up time to meet, whatever. The guy checked the box he wanted to meet. He wrote a cell phone number on it. On it and he said, your persistence has reached diligence, not annoyance. Thanks for your follow-up. And it was like the biggest win. I don't know how much business I got out of the guy, but like the fact of like sales is a game. Like yeah. if you can like just win, that's why, and that's why I probably wrote the title of the book, you know, win the relationship. It's all about people. If you win people, deals will eventually come. I totally agree. I totally love it, Casey. Um, talk to us a little bit. I want to hear a little bit more um, about the podcast too, for other dads listening out there. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Um, and you're going to be a future guest, which I can't, I can't wait to highlight your story. Um, the idea came to me when I was just realizing there wasn't a lot of dad stuff out there. Um, at least when I first was doing this, this I launched it in 20 January, 2020. And I did, it was mainly, it's one episode a week during COVID the the height of COVID. I was doing two a week. This is really before my sales coaching thing kind of started taking off. And, um, the, the goal was I wanted to hear dad's stories. I wanted to hear how they grew up. I wanted to hear how their parents impacted them. And I wanted to hear how those, those experiences of life now affect how they parent their kids. Mm. Um, I talked to them about what they're doing in, the, in life business. Um, I also get them to talk about an area of their dad game that they aren't as good as they want to be, mm. which requires some vulnerability. And right, in, yeah. in the end, I've yet to meet the perfect dad. I'm still, I'm still searching for it, which it's never going to exist. We all got gaps. You know, I, I talk about patience and fatherhood sometimes that I, I, that was, that was a struggle for me. And that's why I have to be really self-aware to, to, to choose my thoughts or reactions before I react. Um, and it's, it's, it's super fun. I get dads to open up because I think most guys, we have the, we get the label that we don't like to talk, but I'm yep. like the opposite. You get a good episode of Punky Brewster and I might, I might tear up. Um, and then we have this fun at the end where we go into lightning round where I just ask you the most random Uncle Rico um, effects of CTE hits I took. And I just like try to get you to giggle and um, last about 45 minutes to an hour, but it's, it's fun. It just, uh, I met some amazing people. I've been honored. I've been very lucky to have some really, really, really cool guests uh, from like, you know, Lorenzo Romar, NCAA basketball coach, kind of Michael Gervais, who's the, um, he's a very famous, um, you know, psychologist, Seattle Seahawks sports uh, psychologist, as well as like the Seattle Mariners, both announcers. I know that you as a Houston guy probably won't appreciate that, but all my Mariner fans are like, you got Rick Riz. How'd you get that? So anyway, I, it's fun. I just, I love talking dads and it gives, it gives me a chance to learn to be a better dad for me and my kids. I, I think you're right. And I, well, I love it. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I was on a podcast last week and it was with two, two guys and I was talking about, they were asking about my morning routine and, and those types of things. You know, I get up to mindful practices and whatnot. I said, yeah, man, because us men, we get pigeonholed, you know, our society really focuses a lot and as they should, you know, right on how society conditions women. We don't often talk about how society conditions men and especially fathers. And we're really looked at to be one or two dimensional a lot of the times, you know, we're, we're thought to be like you procreate and then you're kind of the disciplinary or the fun dad. You're usually one or the other. And then you make money. And then it's just, you know, and a lot of guys get stuck in that, in that kind of trap and being one of two dimensional. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really important to bring to light and allow men to have space to talk and to show their vulnerabilities and, and to, you know, to connect with one another. So I really applaud you for doing that. I, I love it. No, thank you. Thank you. It, 
yeah, it's fun. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, Casey kind of, uh, wrap this up a little bit, you know, I want to know, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Um, being happy, being uh, curious, um, finding a way to grow. Um, you know, I'm not a big, like, I'm going to, I'm going to have 84 clients by this day. Like, sure. I read, I read a book called the surrender experiment by Michael Singer that was referred to me. And it was a little, a little for me out there in terms of like, is this really true? And, but the power of it, a guy named Andy's Andy Parks, a friend of mine, he, he referred it to me and it made me think about surrendering the fact that I don't have to have all the answers and it brings a lot of peace. It's, a, it's really opposite of how I thought about my business career, my f- corporate job. Cause I was like, I had to be thinking, but now I just, I just surrendered to the fact of, I want to serve the, you know, what out of each person I talk to, mm-hmm. I want to be a boomerang, meaning that I want to just keep throwing acts of service out and not keep score. And knowing that they're going to hopefully come back one day. And I've lived that way. I'm so like laser focused on that, man, that there's days I come back, I'll get like four or five things happen. I'm like, oh my God. But it's because of just back to that chapter one, treat people the way I want to be treated. And um, so I, I hope for me, I'm still uh, running my own shop. Uh, I hope the fact that I'm interviewing some great dads, I hope that maybe I, I will have a second book out. I do have some thought about that. I'm close to be ready to, I'm not quite ready yet to say I'm going to do it, but it's, I am 90% sure it's going to be on curiosity. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's something that would be unique um, that you you haven't really seen out there. That would be pivotal. Where can people pick up your book? It's on Amazon. Uh, Just search for when when the relationship, not to be able, it'll come up. There's, uh, I will give a huge shout out to the 89 or 90 folks who've who've left an organic review um, and just shared some really nice thoughts. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn's probably a great way to, to follow me as well. Or you can check, um, yeah, just caseyjcox.com. All right, cool. I will post the link for everybody listening. You know, if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to the podcast, I will post the link to, uh, Casey's podcast, to his book and to his website and LinkedIn. So everybody can scroll down, connect by the book, especially if you're dead. Um, you need to scope, scope the podcast. I think it would probably be insightful. I'm, I'm excited to, for us to chat, um, and any last words, advice for salespeople, dads, leadership? The, uh, I will. The last, you made me think of this now. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I got in my life uh, early in my first job that is the advice that I don't want to hear sometimes, but I need to hear. And as you can be right or get what you want, rarely do you get both. Um, and it's great for marriage. Um, usually when I'm so fired up or passionate about something, I have to check myself. I'm like, why, why is this a big deal? Is it because I want to be right and prove someone that I, they should be thinking the way I'm thinking, or is it in the end? Like, what is the outcome I want? And I think sometimes people will be like, we'll say, well, you, you don't just lay down and do it. It's like, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is think about why we're so passionate about something. Is it because of you or is there a way for you to think about a greater, a greater good we're going after? So uh, I hope that, hope that resonates people, but it definitely helped me a lot in my life. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Casey, thank you. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I wish we had more time to be honest with you. Uh, I really, no worries, enjoy, I really enjoy your energy um, and what you're doing and you know, it's you're authentic in the way that you want to serve people and you convey yourself uh, very well. And that translates and people pick up on that. So I have no doubt you'll have 10 times the amount of success you had in your corporate life um, on your entrepreneurial journey with the way you go out things. So thank you so much for your time today. I'm honored to join you. Thanks again. 